Yesterday, I got up I'm super early, and my three oldest children and I got in the car, and, and we live east of town, so we're driving, to down, driving through downtown Nashville, and I'm like, why is there so much traffic at you know, 5.45 a.m. in Nashville, and the Music City Marathon, or whatever it's called now, Rock and Roll Marathon, and any of you guys run yesterday? Any of you? A few? Um, there are more at the nine. The nine's in better shape than you guys. You guys step up your game. We were driving past and, and I was just like blown away. I'm like, what kind of crazy people get up this early to go park? And anyways, I hope you had fun running. And uh, so we were driving to, to Murray, Kentucky, which is my hometown. And um, my, my mom just recently sold her house and she's moving, retiring from teaching and just kind of transitioning into the next phase of life. And so my older sister and younger brother and I, we all go to her house and, you know, we're, we're helping her pack up stuff and get things ready for a yard sale and just helping her get ready to move. And if you've ever done anything like that before, like um, going to, to help pack your, your home that just means so much to you, it, there, it's just really such a strange roller coaster of emotions. It's like I found myself being sentimental yesterday and I found myself being sad and I found myself being happy. And all these feelings just converging and and we, we get my mom in a good place, and, and so we get back on the road, and I'm driving home, and I'm just thinking about how grateful I am, how much I just cherish time with my family, in particular, my siblings. And my older sister lives in Paducah, Kentucky. My brother lives in Murray, my hometown. We don't get to see each other very much, but I was driving back, and I'm like, man, I just, I cherish time with them. Um, getting to be with them and, and getting to, to know them. And, and, and there's something about that sibling relationship that's just special. You know, I'm a, I'm a, a parent to, to four kids. And, and one of the things that I knew getting into being a parent was that I was going to love like that relationship with each of my kids. Like I just, I knew that was going to be a fun relationship. But what I did not expect was how, how much I was going to love watching my kids love each other. And it's funny because it's one of the, the things that I pray literally every night over my kids, like God help them to be close to you. I'm always praying that. God help them to always be close to each other. And I'm like, there's something about seeing your, your kids love each other that just does something. In fact, when, when I watch my kids go out of their way to be selfless, um, to lift up one of the other siblings, to, to do something that benefits them. There are few things in life that touch my heart like watching that. A couple weeks ago, um, I dropped my oldest daughter off at school and she went to school a little bit um, before my, my second and third kid. And so um, I, I'm, I'm at school with my second and third kid and my son goes on ahead of us and he goes and, and we can't see him and this kind of door opens and me and my youngest daughter kind of go in this different entrance. And, and what I didn't know is that my son like turned around and we weren't there. And so he starts to kind of have this moment of panic, like got a real tender heart. And so he goes out to the parking lot and he can't find us. And he's looking all around the school and he, he gets really nervous because he can't figure out where we are. And so he comes into school and he finally finds us. He's got these, he finds us, he's got these big tears in his eyes. And he's like, dad, I thought I lost you. Like, and I'm scared and he's just crying. And so I pull him into the, this other classroom and I'm just trying to talk to him. He's like, dad, I want to go home. I don't want to go to school today. And, and, and all of a sudden I see his sister walk in the classroom and she's like, dad, I got this. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll check on him. I'll take care of him. And, and there's just something about watching your kids before each other. And, and I love the text that we're going to be in this morning, Philippians chapter two. Honestly, it's like one of the, like the Hall of Fame passages in the scripture, in my opinion. Like there's just something special about it. And I don't know what 
like good favor God has for me that this is what I drew. The past two Sundays, Dave's been teaching on opposition and enduring hardship, and I just get to talk about the beauty of Jesus, but I'm just like living in that favor this morning. And, and, I, and I love this text, and there's so much gold in it. There's so many different directions, but I've just found myself just praying, God, what is it that you want us to hear this morning? And I don't want to limit what God's going to say and do because the Spirit probably has something different to say to, to each and every one of us. But the thing that was really standing out to me was this idea that our relationships with each other just really matter to the Father. Like Our, our relationships with each other, they just matter so much to the Heavenly Father. In the scriptures, God reveals himself as father. In Matthew 6, the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, when you pray, I want you to start your prayers like this, Father in heaven. And he doesn't say, pray God. He doesn't say, pray Yahweh. He doesn't say, pray Lord. He doesn't say, he says, I want you to pray Father because he wants us to understand that when we come into his, to, 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 know relation, to a knowing relationship with God, he puts us in a family. He is our father. Jesus is our older brother, which means that you and I are siblings. And so much of this text today, the Lord was just wanting us to understand that our relationships with each other matter immensely to him. And today I want to just kind of work through this text verse by verse and really just kind of use that understanding to kind of help hang everything on today. And so a couple things that we're going to notice in this passage of scripture, the first kind of um, big takeaway is that Paul invites us to take inventory of what is. He invites us to take inventory of what is. And so look with me in Philippians chapter two, verse one says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. And, 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 and Paul is, is going to give us some, some really challenging like piece of instruction in just a minute. And I really appreciate the way that he, he comes at it because he doesn't come out of the gate by just giving us a to-do list. It's not like, hey, here's your duty, go fulfill it. No, because, you know, Paul, I really believe he understands the, the centrality of us like living into this and giving us a to-do list just doesn't work. And so he knows that if we're going to be people that, that like obey this and that we come at it with the right motivation, right? Because motivation is so key. What are our motives? And Paul wants us to have pure motives. And he knows that, that if, if we're going to, to live out this piece of instruction in a way that actually blesses and brings glory to God and blesses the people around us and brings joy to us, that there's a process that must happen. Can't just go straight into the instruction. There's some work that has to be done in the heart. And so I love what he, he does. He invites us to take inventory of what is. And what I mean by that is he invites us to remember what Christ has done in our lives. And I love the language that he used. He says, do any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ? Think about that this morning. Are, are you encouraged because you know Jesus? And you don't have to fake that answer, but I know that for a lot of you, you come here this morning and go, I am encouraged because I know God. He says, do any of you have uh, this, this common sharing or if you've been comforted by Christ, and I love that. Have any of you been comforted by Jesus? Think about the, the hard trials of life and the pain that you've gone through, and I want you to, to think about the way that Christ met you in that pain. Do any of you have any comfort from Jesus, from his love? 
Do any of you have any common sharing in the spirit? This is so beautiful. The spirit in the scriptures is talked about as a a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The spirit is more than that, but that is part of what the spirit is, that, that the spirit that lives inside of us reminds us that God has better things for us. The spirit who works through us to bless other people, to encourage people. Have you ever been touched by the Holy Spirit? Has he spoken to you? Has there been a a moment in your life where you realized how incredible of a gift is? And so Paul goes to any of you. Are you encouraged by Christ? Have you been comforted by Christ? Do Do you have the spirit of God living inside of you? Do any of you have tenderness or compassion? He invites us to, to, to remember the ways that God has worked. Think about the ways that Christ has worked in your life. And I love this because he understands on a really deep level that once our, our heart is ready, once we've just kind of taken a stroll down memory lane and we, we remember what we have with Christ, then our hearts are actually ready to receive the instruction. And Paul's gonna give some important instruction. And and I love this text. And I think maybe this week as I was reading through it, I understood how important these few verses are. Verse two, he says, so make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And I read that and I go, man, that sounds great. (laughs) Like None of us want the opposite. None of us want to be divided and and self-focused. No, we want unity. We want to have the same heart. Like this sounds incredible for for us all to, to have the same heartbeat and the same passion, the same commitment to Jesus and each other. But, but how do we do that? Like practically, how do we get there? And I love, he spells it out for us in verse three. So do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And, and it's so simple, but yet so challenging. I actually like the way that the ESV or other translations um, translate this more than the NIV, which is what's up on the screen. And I think a better translation is, is don't just look out for yourself. Paul's not saying, hey, completely neglect yourself and your soul and your heart and, and everything in your life just to take care of other people. No, what he's saying is don't be a person that is just so self-absorbed by yourself that you can't see the needs of people around you. The word look means pay careful attention. When is the last time you You paid careful attention to the people around you, to their hurts, their pain, what's going on in their lives. I challenge you this week, the next, sometime this week, if you find yourself in line, maybe you're waiting for a table or, you know, you're checking out a target or whatever you do, I encourage you to not get on your phone. If you're like me, you know, anytime there's like a second, you know, I'm on my phone, checking email, checking text, trying to reply, trying to catch up. And it's going to be painful for a lot of you. I encourage you, if you find yourself standing in line, just stand there and and look around you to see people. What what will you observe? What will you see when when you choose to just be looking for people around you? I love this passage, but the truth is it's 
it's really hard to live. You know, it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult to, to, to put your needs and in, in your life and your wants sometimes on hold because someone just needs you. But you all know this. If, if you've seen this lived out or if you've experienced it yourself, you know that there is something that is so compelling, something that is so beautiful about a life of someone who chooses to lay down their life for the good of others. So attractive. My wife, just so grateful for her. She comes to the nine o'clock, you know, just this amazing woman of God. And several years ago, the Lord started to really burden her heart for us to become foster parents. And it's this really just complex and beautiful and challenging and redemptive. It's just this crazy world I didn't even know existed. And, and what I've watched for almost the past you know, three and a half years is my wife just consistently see the needs of others and, and choose to keep her eyes open, to lay down her life, to meet their needs. And so it feels like for the past you know, four years, she's not gotten a, 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 a night of sleep all the way through the, the night. She's waking up and taking care of babies. They don't have someone to take care of them. And endless doctor's appointments and, and physical therapy meetings and, and court meetings and and yet she just never complains. And I get the beauty of just watching my wife really live this out. And, and there's so many different ways we could talk about this. I think about how many of you are house church leaders. And it's not always like something like that. You, I'm, I'm talking about, man, anytime you choose to, to, to open up your life to meet the needs of others, it's so compelling. I think about our house church leaders. Every single week, opening up a space for people to gather, to pray, to worship, to connect. And they don't have to do that. No one's forcing them to. It's this, it's this calling that, that, that happens when you understand this life of Jesus. Laying down your life for others. My guess is that, that all of us, man, we want this. Like We all want to live lives that are not self-absorbed buried in the sand of our own problems. But there's some problems. Our flesh, right? The enemy. How easily we can become self-absorbed. Like, you know, I can, it's, it's almost comical how it happens for me, how I could be in such a good headspace, such a good heart space, serving and loving, and then all of a sudden, like, something happens, and I'm like, wait, I just thought about myself for the past seven days. Like, you ever been there where you just kind of snap out of and you're like, oh my goodness, I haven't thought about anybody else but me. I'm the only one? Man. And Paul looks at us and he says, hey, sisters, brothers, don't live like that. Don't live lives of selfish ambition and vain conceit. That word vain conceit, it's the word kinodoxai. Two different words in the Greek combined, put together, and what it means is to be glory empty. And you're like, what in the world does that mean? Put that in layman's terms. You know, this idea of glory, 
It means to have weight. It means to have significance. It means to have meaning. It, has, it means to have purpose. And each of us were, were meant to carry a degree of glory. And each of us, were, we were meant to receive that from the Lord. And so what I mean by that is that, that each of us, man, we have immense value and, and purpose and significance. But the problem is we go looking for it everywhere else but from God. I love listening to Tim Keller, pastor up in New York City, and spent some time listening to, to him teach on this passage this week. And I love what he said. It says, he said this, he said, man, we, we are starved for validation and approval and respect that we are not assured of our own significance and value. So we look to everyone we can, hoping that they'll say to us, you're important. Does that resonate? You know, the truth is when, when, when we step into this life with God, when you express faith in Jesus, he looks at you the same way he looked at Jesus. You are my son, you're my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. That weight that we receive, that glory that we receive, that identity that we receive is, is everything. But the problem is that, that we go grasping for glory from everything else but God. And so we, we, we do it with our career. Man, we, we do it in our studies. We do it with, with our spouse. We do it with our kids. And the reality is that whenever we try to, to get from someone else to say to you, you matter, you're significant, when we, when we live with this place needing approval or respect or getting our value from others, it only disappoints us. And we all have our own way of wrestling through this. You know, I feel this when I'm preaching, that when I'm in a, a rough headspace or heart space, man, the way that, like, I can really easily go, man, I just want people to like me as a preacher. I want you to like me. Or with my kids, I'm like, man, I want, I want people to, to think that Court and I are doing a good job of raising our kids. And it's so easily to kind of get in this place where, where you, you start out with this place of service and you're wanting to love and give and how easily you can just, that can get twisted where you're, you're trying to get something from people. You need something from people and how easy it is for the current of life for us to just get swept up in a life of self-absorption. And I love what Paul does because he doesn't come at us and say, hey, you're terrible. There's no hope for you. I can't believe you are self-absorbed, that you've been only thinking about yourself. No, I love what he does is like just imagine you're, you're in the stream and, and the stream's moving really fast and you can't get out. And like that's what it feels like sometimes when you're self-absorbed. And I love what Paul, he just kind of throws this rope to us. A rescue rope. You don't have to live in this place of being self-absorbed. If you come here this morning and, and you realize that you've been so self-focused, so self-centered, if you came here this way, you don't have to leave here that way. And I love what Paul does because he, he reminds us, hey, over and over again, when you get duped into believing that 
that your meaning comes from anything other than God? He says, I want you just to walk in repentance. When we, 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 can, we can get back into this place where we realize the best way to live is to actually live in a way that we're looking out to the interest of others. And I want to say this because it's important. He doesn't say ignore yourself. He just doesn't. He doesn't say, hey, ignore your heart and your soul and things that are, he doesn't say that. So he doesn't, you know, bring you down. But what he does is he brings up other people. And I love the way that Paul seals this up. Man, he's so brilliant. He's such a good teacher. He's such a good leader. He, he gives us this instruction. I want you to, to consider other people's needs. I want you to see the needs. I want you to be about their business. I want you to give your life to them. And so he gives us this instruction in all of us. Man, that resonates in the heart of a believer. You're like, yeah, I want that. Okay, Brandon, I'm, I'm gonna do that. Like, that's good. And, but, but I know that, what Paul knows is that he knows that we need more. Because just a motivation, a, a, a conviction to turn our life around is not enough. And so I love what he does is that, you know, he starts by letting us take inventory. He gives us instruction and then he finishes by, by giving us the inspiration. And he just fixes our eyes on the beauty of Jesus. You know, in fact, this is, many scholars believe that verses um, five through 11 was a song, maybe a song that even Paul wrote himself. And so this is so beautiful because you just sit there. I don't know where Paul was. You know, he was, he's, he's locked up in prison. And I don't know what that looked like, but he's writing, this, he's writing this letter and he's giving these instructions and he's trying to listen to the spirit. Spirit, what are you saying? And he's, and he's telling us, hey, don't be about selfish ambition and don't be about vain pursuit. And, and, and then he just burst out in this song. This is a song, verse five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And I love this because it speaks into so many of the amazing qualities of Jesus. It says that he's the very form of God. It means that he, had the, he has the exact and true nature. That Jesus is not a lesser version of God. He possesses all of the characteristics and qualities. He was fully God, full of power and wisdom and love and capabilities of God. The text says that, that he was in the form of God, he was fully God, and it goes on to say, yet he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And I love this because he had the status and the position and the power of God, yet Jesus didn't leverage any of those for his own personal advantages, his own personal purposes. He didn't choose to use his life and his godness to operate independent of the Father. And I think this is so important because when Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit in the very beginning decided the path, the way that this was gonna play out, the plan went like this. Jesus is coming to earth. 
And he's going to put on flesh and he's going to die for the sins of the world on a cross in Calvary. And, and that was the plan. And so when Christ came to this earth and he was clothed in skin, he was fully God, but he was fully man as well. And the truth is, as a man, he had free will. He could have come to this earth and done whatever he wanted to do. And I don't want us to miss this because I think so often I just go, well, of course he came and he, and he obeyed. He did everything. No. At every point, Jesus chose to not operate independent of the Father. He had all knowledge of all things. Think about if in this life you had all knowledge, what would you do with that? You'd be a terrible person. You'd be an incredibly wealthy person. You'd be a selfish person. Think about what that happens when, when you know everything that's going on in the world, when you have everything, what, like when, when, when you could choose a life of ease. And I love it because Jesus, at every point, at every single point, chose to not operate independent of the Father. I had a friend in college, and I loved watching this friend because the school that I went to, um, his family had so much influence there. And it was a really just, they had, had given so much to the, the university and they had blessed it and built it in so many ways. And I loved being around this guy because he never introduced himself with his last name. You know, it was always his first name. And he didn't leverage this. I mean, he could have been the biggest punk. He could have done whatever he wanted in that, around our campus. He could have wielded that name for his own glory. But man, he was so humble. And I love this about our Jesus. He didn't take advantage. He didn't use that for his own purposes. It says that he made himself nothing. Literally, the word in the Greek there is kenosis. It means that he emptied himself. And scholars have been debating for a long time, well, what did he empty himself of? And it's important to notice that Jesus never emptied himself of his deity. That is not what the text says. He didn't come to this earth and leave behind his godness to just embrace his manness. No, He emptied himself of his glory. You're like, what do you mean by that? Well, Jesus, from the very beginning, was in center. He was sent, is in centered a word? I don't think it is. He was in the middle of the heavenly beings that constantly knew him, that knew his heart, that the, the angels. I mean, you go back and you read this in, in Isaiah 6, that there are, are these created beings that can go anywhere and do anything in all the world. They have eyes all over their body and they have wings. Literally, the picture is that they can go anywhere and do anything. And you know the place that they choose to dwell? Where do they choose to dwell day and night? Do you know? In the presence of Jesus. And so Jesus, from the very beginning, he created these beings and, and they're not, you know, they're just like us. They're, they're not machines that he just made to, to fake worship him. No, these beings had the choice. You get to see whatever you want and, and, and they see accurately. And they worship him day and night. Heaven, the place where um, there is no confusion over the beauty and the brilliance and the wisdom of Jesus. And Jesus stepped down from that to come to this earth. And think about the confusion in our world about Jesus. He emptied himself of the eternal glory of worship and praise. 
says he took the very nature of a servant. He didn't come as a dictator, crushing those who didn't believe in him. Is that how he came? Man, you read about other world powers and, and leaders of the ancient world, and if you didn't bend, man, you got destroyed. And I love Jesus. He just, it's an invitation. He came as a servant, not as a dictator. He washed the feet of people. He did the things that no one else wanted to do. He never used people. He served people. And I love verse eight. It says, and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I've been recently reading and studying about Islam. You know, part of it's because I have some friends that are Muslim. Part of it's Aaron and Amy living in the Middle East and just, you know, it's the second largest religion in the world behind Christianity. And I'm like, man, I, I don't know a lot about it. And so I've been studying and reading, and I don't pretend to be a PhD. There are probably people in this room who know way more than me, but there are a couple of things that as I've been reading that have really stood out to me. And, and, and one of those is that the Islamic faith, man, there is a rejection that Jesus is God. They believe in Jesus. They believe that he was a prophet, that he was a teacher, but they do not believe that Jesus was God himself. And there's also this belief in, in Islam that Jesus never died. And so they believe in Jesus, but they believe that, that at the last moment, that if you ever read you know, in the, the Old Testament, the story of Elijah, that Elijah never died. He was taken up in a chariot of fire to be with God. And they believe the same thing happened with Jesus, that he didn't die on the cross, that he was taken up to heaven. They actually believe that Jesus is gonna come back to this earth. And you're like, why are you talking about this this morning? You know, as I was reading about Islam, I realized how central, how important the death of Jesus, the Son of God, really is. The truth is, I've grown up in church my whole life. I've heard the gospel. Man, I've, I've read it so many times. I've seen movies. <laughs> I know the truth that God came to earth and that God died for us. But the reality is that my, my heart is not always stirred by that. I, I know it here, but it doesn't always move me here. And as I was reading about Islam, man, there was just this, this freshness, this deep appreciation for the fact that that this truth that I've known my whole life and that sometimes it just kind of skims over me and, and I can read verse eight and I can be more concerned about what I'm having for lunch. And, 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 and Paul is going, I want you to understand this. God died for you. That Jesus, he saw us in our condition. Do you realize how different we are than Jesus? Like Jesus comes to this earth and and at every point he faces a decision and he always went with the father. No matter what, like always yielding, always listening, always going, no matter what it costs, no matter how he felt, there was this yielding to the father. He was not gonna exert himself against the father. And you think about how different we are. Like, and this is not to, to you know, make us feel bad, but I want us to be really honest how the father, man, says, this is how I want you to steward your sexuality. And how many of us go, we're gonna do it this way instead. The father goes, hey, this is how I want you to, 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 to manage your money. We got, that's nice. I think I'm going to try it this way. 
This is how I want you to treat the poor. That's really cool. I think I'm going to go my own way. This is how I want you to manage worrying. Yeah, that's cool. I think I'm going to do it my own way. This is how I want you to, to view people. Yeah, that's cool, but I think I want to do it my own way. And how often? I mean, my goodness. It's like at every point, we just choose to like be our own God. We're like, God, we know better. You're trying to deprive us of life. You don't, you don't know what's satisfying. You don't know the good life. We're just going you know, to go our own way, and we're just going to trust in your grace. And Jesus sees all this, discerns it. Accurately, we can put on a mask, we can call it what it is. God is not fooled by what is happening, even though we might be fooling ourselves, trying to fool ourselves. In his response to us, he says this, we do this. His response to us was to die for our sins. Because our God is a God of love, but also a God of justice. We want a God of justice especially when there's injustice. Man, we don't, we don't like when things don't play out fairly, but the reality is with our own lives, man, we want mercy, not justice from God. And yet God looks at us and says, hey, there, there can't be true love unless there's justice. I can't just excuse your sin. Your sin has lead, led you to die. It's literally separated you from me. There's a chasm between you and I. You've, you've died is what the scripture said, that you've been literally cut off from me. And Christ comes. And to anyone who looks to Jesus, to anyone who in humility acknowledges, yeah, God, you said this, but I have gone this way so many times. And you say that if, if I believe in you, Jesus, that the punishment that I deserve, you put on Jesus. Anyone who believes that. Scriptures say that you're, you're literally saved. When you declare with your mouth that, that you're tired of going your own way, that Jesus is gonna be your Lord. When you believe in your heart that, that Christ died for your sins, that the Father doesn't look at you in just this perpetual place of disappointment. I mean, how many of us, we just feel like we constantly disappoint God? Just like over and over again, like I'm just this big disappointment. And I'm like, man, if we could only see the way the Father feels about us. He sent his son to forgive us so that we could live joyful and righteous lives, that the reward that Jesus earned by living a perfect life would be given to us. And all this comes to us because Christ died. Christ died for us. Christ died for you. Christ died for your sins. God died for you. And I love how this text ends. Verse nine says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. You know, the, the thing that the father had planned from the very beginning was to exalt Jesus. 
was to give him the glory on earth as he had in heaven, to let him be the recipient of the global eternal praise. Man, it was a father's heart to lift Jesus up. It was a father's heart to to exalt Jesus. But the father knew that obedience and suffering had to precede it. Had to go before it. You realize that it's the Father's heart to lift us up. In Revelation 22, it says that in the new heaven, the new earth, that we will reign with Christ forever. He doesn't say we're just going to exist, we're just going to, we're just going to hang. He says, no, you're going to reign. Whoa. He longs to exalt you. But obedience must precede it. So do not look out for your own interests. Each of you look to the interests of others. I love 1 Peter 5, verse 6. It says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. It's a choice you have to make by yourself. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. And I go, may, may we not spend our lives lifting ourselves up, grasping for glory, grasping to be noticed and recognized and to get approval and respect from other people. May it be enough for us to just trust the gospel. Christ loves us. He saved us. May it be enough for us to spend our lives seeing the needs of those around us. I love what Jesus says. He says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And may we live our lives discovering that reality. Here in just a minute, we're gonna take communion. I love this moment every week where we gather around the the body and the blood of Jesus. And during communion, I wanna just encourage you, if this morning you go, man, I've been really self-absorbed, I just, just confess that. God already knows it. Bring it into the light. You know, let that, let that sin, let that darkness die. Things like that die in the light. So often when you just confess it, you bring it from in front of people you love. Man, just confess it. Your spouse isn't surprised, right? Like they already know it. Your roommate knows it. Oh, I'm so glad you finally came to the reality. Confess it, own it. Walk in repentance. Some of you this morning, you need prayer. You're carrying something really heavy. Your heart is, is hurting. Man, maybe, maybe you go, hey, I, I've, my heart is just kind of hard right now to this. Oh. It's okay to ask God to soften your heart. You know that? Come let us pray for you at the respond banner. You know, some of you, man, you, you are feeling, maybe for the first time, that you actually believe in Jesus and you want to give your life to him. You believe in your heart that he is Lord. You're tired of going your own way. You want to go his way. You want to express your faith publicly. And so next Sunday, we're going to have baptism. If you want to get baptized, you can do that. Fill out that card, drop it in a white mailbox. Come talk to us at the respond banner. It's a beautiful thing when, when, you, when, you're, when your life, when your heart comes alive to God. And some of you are coming alive right now. You've tried the world. You've tried chasing glory and every other thing. And you're going, man, I just want God and he wants you too. So here's what I want to invite us to do. I want to invite us to stand up. I'm going to pray for us. 
After I pray, you can go get communion. You come back, you can circle your chairs up. I just encourage you to contemplate, to pray for each other. There's things that are going on in your life. Give people around you an opportunity to care for the things that are going on in your world. So let's pray. So Lord, thank you for this morning. Would you meet us as we break the bread and drink the cup? Would you be pleased this morning as we not only look to our interests, but look to the interests of others around us? Yeah, we love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Let's go and take communion. If you need prayer, we'll be at the respond banner. We'd love to pray and talk.